Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Sunday, October 23rd. It was such a busy weekend in the pro tennis world. So exciting that I've decided to divide this podcast into two separate episodes. That's right, folks, two episodes to recap Championship Weekend. Of course, this edition of the show is going to focus on the rise of the next-gen ATP 2.0. This weekend's championship action on the men's side offered all of us a glimpse into the future as it was three men, and I say that, I suppose, lightly as each of them barely over the age of 18, but three men, Lorenzo Musetti, Holger Runa, Felix Ogier-Aliassime, all born after the year 2000. There's just another dagger into the side of all of us. They each capture tour-level titles over the course of the past weekend. Hard to argue that any of them was definitively more impressive than the next, but you probably have to start the show with the run of Holger Runa. He was exceptional. All week long, in particular in a semifinal three-set victory over Alex Diemenauer, and then, of course, in today's final over Stefano Tsitsipas. It's the second title on the year for Holger Runa, who came to even mainstream tennis fans' attention when he beat Tsitsipas and reached the quarterfinals back at this year's French Open. But the more the year has progressed, I think the higher I have gotten on the upside of the 19-year-old moving forward. Simply put, there's nothing on court he can't do. We see continued progression for Runa in his ability to play first strike tennis. In particular, the forehand has gone leaps and bounds from where it once was, perhaps even at the start of this season, and he employed all of those skills. In a straight-set victory over Tsitsipas today in Stockholm, obviously want to take a deep dive into that match, talk about what impressed me with Runa, put a final bow on that event in Stockholm. Yes, we can talk about the Tsitsipas record in finals this season, whether we should or should not be concerned about that moving forward. That said, again, Runa not the only impressive performer on the weekend. I already did a deep dive on Lorenzo Musetti, so I'll save that for the end. I suppose next will be Felix Ogier-Aliassime, who back-to-back weeks, once again, I said it at the start of the week, if you listen to this show, we now see it manifest at the end uh, with his result. Felix, for the second time this season, makes back-to-back finals on indoor hard courts, and this time he's able to come up with back-to-back titles. His third of the season, of course, one of the big faux narratives we made fun of here at Crack Rackets, will Felix Ogier-Aliassime ever win a title? Do his struggles in finals matter? It's nice that after 2022, we can finally put that discussion to bed. Felix, elite absolutely elite on the first serve. And that's a progression we've seen from Felix, not only this season, but really over the course of the past two and a half years for all of these players here today. I want to do that classic mini break deep dive where we look back in this pandemic era from August 2020 to now. What has gotten better? What needs improvement? What has gotten better or worse even immediately here in 2022 relative to the past two and a half years? I want to explore it all here on today's show with each of these players for Felix in particular. It's a little bit different than Holger, right? Holger can do so many different things. We're not really sure yet what the best version of Holger Runa looks like. 
I think although Felix Ogier-Aliassime is still just 22 years old, we know what the best version of him will look like, dominating with that first serve, dominating with that first forehand. He did that, but even a little more throughout the course of his run to this Antwerp title. I want to talk about his win over Korda in the final break. Everything down again from championship weekend in Antwerp. And then, yes, we will get to Florence. I'm not sure what was more mo- uh, impressive from Lorenzo Musetti, his victory over Kasmenovic in the semifinals or his victory over a wounded yet able Matteo Berrettini in the final. Either way, you look for Lorenzo Musetti, now 19-7 and since the middle of July, playing, dare I say, elite tennis. And I'll make the case for why the numbers say that's exactly what Lorenzo Musetti is doing right now. He has clearly taken a leap, was explored in our mini break podcast on Friday, but it's a conversation worth having. And then again, you look at this next gen 2.0 and Really, I consider anyone born 1999, 2000 or later, it's tough to figure out where Shapovalov, Demonauer are going to figure in this equation. Are they part of the older group? Are they part of the younger group? They really are right in between from an age standpoint. We'll have that big picture discussion as I keep alluding to in December. But, I mean, again, whether it's these three headline names, players like Korda, who was into another final this weekend, Nakashima, who won his first title in San Diego a few weeks ago. You know, again, Kesmenovic, Davidovich, Fokina, sort of tweeners as well, but the Jack Drapers of the world, Sebi Baez's of the world, they're all coming. It's a really strong next-gen ATP 2.0 group, and I know I alluded to them. Yuri Lehechka should give him a shout-out as well a little bit last week, but let's take a deep dive as we look at championship weekend on that topic once again as, again, I think there's a depth moving forward. Five, ten years, however far you want to project it, I can name 20 guys who I think are just going to be in the mix at every event, certainly every big event from a level perspective moving forward, and I want to explore that on today's show. A little Sunday night monologue for all of you mini-break fans, or Monday morning, I suppose, depending on when you are listening to this. Hopefully, that is a topic you all will enjoy, and if not, as always, at Cracked Rackets for all of your complaints, at A.L. Gruskin for all of your compliments. Feel free to throw them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Always appreciate feedback from you listeners, what you do like, what you don't like, what you'd like us to focus on moving forward. Shout out to all of you. It's why we continue to record these podcasts day in, day out. It's why at 7.40 p.m. Eastern time on a Sunday night, the prospect of recording a podcast, recapping all of the ATP action, it seems delightful in my brain. Now, some people would say working on a Sunday night isn't that bad. I disagree. It's not work. It's a pleasure to recap the tour for all of you listeners, and we're immensely grateful all of you continue to listen. Hopefully, you'll continue to do so. Share it with your friends, and again, let us know your thoughts. Of course, a shout-out, as always, to our friends at Tennis Point as well for their continued support. You all know the deal. Best equipment, best prices, one location, tennis-point.com. Use that promo code CR15. You'll get 15% off all sale items, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls, tennis-point symbol, not the spelling, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, let's get into what was a very fun and jam-packed championship weekend of action. And when I say jam-packed, I do want to address this before we dive too deep into the tennis and start nerding out, as we like to do here on the mini break. 
it absolutely sucked that all of these matches were scheduled for the same time. And I wonder if there's a misnomer out there that it's the network that decides when these matches are scheduled. That's not the case. And this continues to get to a theme that we touch on from time to time here on the mini break and on all of our Crack Racket shows. Each of these tournaments are their own entity. You know, Napoli makes its own decisions. Stockholm makes its own decisions. Antwerp makes its own decisions. Yes, there's an ATP governing body that establishes the rules at each of these events to make sure, you know, we're not playing no ad scoring in one place and awarding that similar to a completely different format somewhere else. There is some sort of standardization, but there is no coordination when it comes to, well, Stockholm's playing at 11. So Napoli, you got to play at 1.30. And sorry, Antwerp, but you're the four o'clock match that we can stagger everything appropriately. They don't do that. It's, again, over 80% of the revenue generated at these 250 events come from receipts at the gate or money spent on site, meaning ticket sales and food sales, et cetera, et cetera. You know, yes, there's a slice of it that's TV revenue, but TV isn't the dictating say. And so... It was the same time for all three of these matches was deemed ideal by their tournament directors. And again, this gets back to a structural imbalance. It would be great if there was just a match time coordinator, right? You feel like that could be a full-time job given how much action there is week in, week out. And maybe that person can double up as the outfit coordinator. Do we really need Felix and Corda both purple top, white shirt, even if it's different name brands? Probably not. Um... But again, this is where it's tough because every tournament is its own entity. It is dog-eat-dog town. Everyone's out for themselves. Everyone needs to get as big of a – generate as much revenue as possible. And yeah, tennis fans unfortunately are both the benefactor of those ideal match times when it's in your local market or – Sometimes Again, we're on the downside where we don't get to watch all these matches individually. We have to have multiple screens or we have to go half and half on your screen as I like to do. It sucks. It's unfortunate. And it's a little thing. You know, again, it's one of those little things that you feel like tennis can absolutely fix moving forward. And by staggering the matches, maybe one final doesn't get the best viewership numbers, but maybe the other one does. And again, it just allows tennis fans a more balanced opportunity to watch all of the action. So just wanted to address that before we dive too deep into the tennis itself. But with that said, let's talk about the action in Stockholm. And again, I cannot emphasize how impressed I was with Holger Runa, who earns his second ATP title of the season, second ATP title of his career. You look for Runa now three finals made the final in Sofia as well back at the end of September before getting knocked out by the big lefty Mark Andre Hussler. You look for Runa, a ridiculous record of success here this season, forty and twenty-six. You put up forty wins in a year, you're doing something right. Of course, twenty-nine and twenty-three at the tour level. You win fifty-six percent of your matches as a teenager at the tour level. You make three tour level finals as well as a French Open quarterfinal along the way. Yeah, you had a damn good age nineteen season. I don't think I need to go too much deeper into the metrics to indicate that fact. However, I will do that because that's what we like to do here for you Cracked Rackets fans. You look for Runa this season, 28-15 and 15 against opponents ranked outside the top 50. Won 65% of his matches. That sounds good. That's a number that's going to get even better for Runa moving forward. Of course, perhaps most impressively, 12-11 and 11 
against top 50 opponents here this season. Six top 20 victories, including two over Tsitsipas, a win over Sinner, a win over Nori. Uh, obviously, the Nori Sinner, uh, Nori Tsitsipas wins. Two of them come at this event. He beat Shapovalov and Roland Garros, beat Zverev in Munich. It's a really good age 19 season for Holger Runa. And you look at the numbers for Runa overall here. Again, 40 and 26, holding serve 81% of the time overall. Now, that number drops to 80.2 when you filter out some of the challenger action. But 19 years old, he's holding 80.2% of the time. 2% below the tour average of a top 50 player. He's breaking serve 21.7% of the time at the ATP level, 23.9 overall for the season. Now you take the season number that's above average of a top 25 player. The ATP tour level number uh, of 21.7, that's just beneath it, you know, about a percent and a half below. That feels lower than what we're seeing with our eyes, right? And you look for Holgaruna, who had a really tough stretch of matches from the end of Roland Garros to really the start of the U.S. Open. You look for uh, Runa, he lost uh, 10 of 12 matches from Hala to, again, the end of Cincinnati. You filter that results, those results out, again, the numbers look so much better for Holgaruna here this season. And that's why I think the numbers are a little bit misleading for the 19-year-old. Of course, you look big picture now since August 2020. Again, Runa was 17 years old from ages 17 to 19 and a half. He's won 34 and 64 overall. He has won two-thirds of his matches over a 198-match sample size and two and a half years of play. And he hasn't even turned 20 years old yet. You look for Runa in his career, again, as a teenager, 35 and 33 against top 100 opponents, 14 and 18 against the top 50. That's pretty darn good for a 19-year-old. I already mentioned the numbers for him here this season. That 12 and 11 number against top 50 opponents. He's breaking 22.4% of the time. That's 0.8% below the tour average. You're doing that at 19 years old, break and serve at a minimum. Your league average, that's pretty darn solid. And again, all these things, all these numbers indicate is what we're seeing with our eyes. There are a lot of different things Hogaruna can do to make opponents uncomfortable, and he did all of them in a 4-4 four four victory over Stefano Tsitsipas in the Stockholm final on Sunday. You look for Runa. He wasn't broken throughout the course of this match, and I think what was most impressive, he got off to early break leads. Didn't break in the first game, but early break leads was up, I think, a break 3-1 or 3-2 in set one, 3-1, I believe, in set number two. It was A... The pressure he put on Pass from the start. He didn't break Pass in the opening game, but he made Pass work for that opening service game. And just every single point, Holger Runa, at a bare minimum, the floor for him is he's going to ask the question. Pass had moments where the attacking tennis he was able to play was overwhelming. You know, you look for Pass, he was broken twice throughout the course of this match. Typically, you're going to extend a match to three sets if you're only broken twice throughout the course of it. And yet, you know, again, Hokaruna not only did a great job pressuring Tsitsipas in the most important moments of service games, continuing to put returns in play whenever he got a look at a shorter second serve. He took that ball a little bit earlier, turns into his backhand, returns so beautifully. Yeah, gets a little slap happy on the forehand, but oh my God, was the forehand exceptional 
throughout the course of today's action, whether it was the down the line, the inside in, his pinpoint accuracy with the inside out forehand, although Lorenzo Musetti's ability to find the Berrettini backhand today was second to none. That said, Hokaruna was really good on finding that outside corner, and yet he didn't shy away from the Stefano Tsitsipas forehandling, and I think he approached the game plan how you need to approach it. Yes, you're going to try and push Tsitsipas to the backhand wing, but Runa repeatedly would go inside in, meaning hit his forehand from the ad side of the court to the deuce side of the court, and force Tsitsipas to play his forehand on the run. More than anything else, that was the key. He consistently forced Tsitsipas to have to play on the run. Yes, there were moments of magnificence where he came up with the ridiculous passing shot. I like the tweener he hit at the start of the second set. I thought it was entertaining. I mean, you see, go watch the match point. The forehand down the line that ultimately draws the Tsitsipas error, that was sort of emblematic of the forehands Runa hit at all times in this match. There were moments where he absolutely obliterated forehands with elite pace. And if you can harness that twitchiness moving forward, look out ATP Tour. It was the fact that he did that, as well as the fact that he followed up a two-hour, 50-minute victory over Alex Demonauer with that hour-and-a-half efficient performance against Tsitsipas and against Demonauer in the semifinals. Oh, my God. was That that was my favorite match of the weekend from a physicality standpoint on the men's side. Just Demonauer was a little bit more aggressive in set number one, a little bit more proactive in moving forward to the net. If he had Runa completely stretched off the court or saw Runa turning to the slice, he would use his speed to sneak forward, knock a ball off with a forehand volley. Still, there were moments when Runa came up with defensive excellence. There were moments when Demonauer came up with defensive excellence, including the backhand he dipped at Runa's feet on the set point. But then Runa got a little bit more aggressive as the match went along, and he hit two out-of-the-air overheads, one of them for one all in the first set. The second, I actually think, for 2-1. I think he did it back-to-back in the second set breaker um, to sort of establish the lead, and from there, he stayed aggressive. He continued to, you know, because it was a little bit easier for Runa to drive the ball through the court, particularly on the backhand wing. He beat Demonauer backhand-to-backhand. He opened up opportunity for himself. He used the drop shot well when he had Demonauer pushed 12 feet behind the baseline, and follows it up so well with how soft his hands are at the net. I also thought he really he volleyed very well against Tsitsipas today as well. It was a really good week for Hogaruna, who, again, 14 and 18 as a teenager against the top 50, 12 and 11 here this season. All the numbers continue to improve. That break percentage, 23.9 overall for the season, is a top 25 number. Again, when flexed overall and you don't filter out the challenger action. That said, it feels like Holgaruna has gotten so much better. And after a year that saw him, you know, again, lose 10 out of 12 matches, could have easily folded after that Roland Garros quarterfinal. Instead, he plays a ton of post-U.S. Open tennis. You just look at the schedule for Runa here down the season's home stretch. He played in Metz, France. He played in Sofia. Goes quarterfinals, finals of those two events. Now plays again here in Stockholm. I mean, you play uh, 12 post-U.S. Open matches. It's a lot of tennis on the body. And you still have the 500s on the board in Vienna or whatever the other one is. You still have Paris, which at a new career high of number 25 in the live rankings, Holgaruna is damn sure going to get into. 
You look for Holger Rune, he's going to play north of 70 matches this season. That's a lot of tennis on the body. That said, he is 70 years old. I suppose, uh, 70. He is 19 years old. Now, my only concern, played 99 matches last season. He's going to be over 70 this season. Next year's schedule will be interesting. Obviously, he's not going to have to chase challengers. He's going to get into all of the big events. How will he scale things back? Will he sustain that level? Anytime you play north of 70, I mean, you have to do it in the prime of your career, particularly if you want to push into the top 25 as someone who was outside the top 100, as Holger Runa was. That said, body maintenance is someone who has gotten injured at the end of log matches or log tournaments, who has had cramping throughout the course of his year. How does he balance his schedule next season? I mean, that's the question. That's the only question you have to ask about the 19-year-old because you don't have any questions about his game, about his fitness, his ability to absorb the first strike of Tsitsipas, who completely overwhelmed Michael Emer earlier in the event and did the exact same to Emil Rusevori in the semifinals. Runa didn't have that trouble physically. Runa, again, exceptional, up to a new career high, number 25. And honestly, that feels about right for the 19-year-old, who's not one of the, uh, you look over 11 players to rank top 25 in both hold and break percentage this season. But, you know, again, ranks 25th in the points race, 25th overall. When yearly ELO ratings update on Sunday, Runa going to move up. He's already currently sitting uh, at number 52. Yeah, he's going to be top 35 in the yearly ELO ratings by the time uh, the they update on Monday, and deservedly so, as he was that good in the final today. A 4-4 four four victory, unbroken against Stefano Tsitsipas. That's obviously tough for the world number five, who sustains that ranking by making the final once again in Stockholm. You look for Tsitsipas. I mentioned this last week. I'll continue to say it. He is the tour leader in victories here this season. Stefano Tsitsipas, 55-20 and 20 now overall on the year. He has won 73% of his matches. He's holding 86.1% of the time. That's a top seven number, an elite. Anytime you're over over 85, 86, uh, over 90s elite, but it's very, very good. And clearly, again, a definitive non-negotiable weapon for Stefano Tsitsipas. Tsitsipas, two and two win over Rusevori, completely overwhelmed him with the weight of his first forehand did an exceptional job scampering around the court against Rusevori as well and absorbing the weight of some of Rusevori's shots. I thought Tsitsipas hit the backhand particularly well against Rusevori, who still needs to develop a little more kick on that second serve, just has to go for a little bit more. But again, Tsitsipas did a great job continuing to attack against Hogaruna. Runa was too good with the plus one forehand, too good at forcing keeping Tsitsipas honest on that due side of the court. And then Runa also had the patience, the physicality to extend Tsitsipas. And look, it's perennial struggles for Stefano Tsitsipas. When people can maintain some sort of balance against his plan A or get him down on the scoreboard, you know, Tsitsipas is an exceptional front runner. With that serve, that forehand, his willingness and ability to move forward when he gets you up, he's going to keep you down. You look for Stefano Tsitsipas here overall on the season. 48 and 5 when he's won first sets. He lost he won a first set against Francis Tiafoe and lost that match. So you can throw that out. 48 and 4. His other two losses, Kyrgios on grass courts, Jensen Brooksby at Indian Wells. He's an exceptional front runner. Come on. 48 and 5 here this season. What was he last year? 45 and 8 as a front runner. 24 and 2 when he won the first set in 2020. 
This is a great revelation statistically. I'm going to keep turning to this stat to when, whenever I have a Tsitsipas discussion moving forward. I mean, when he, it, it's not about the finals. It's about when he gets behind, what's plan B, plan C, plan D to work himself back into a match is going to test an opponent physically, you know, start mixing in slices or short angles. No, that's not Tsitsipas's game. He wants to hit the forehand on the rise, move forward. And again, we know when that's clicking, at times it's untouchable. Developing plan B, developing plan C, that will continue to be the perennial question for Tsitsipas, who after breaking serve 25.5% of the time last year, he's down to 20.9% here this season. That's below the tour average of 23.2, and it's disappointing to see that regression after two years north of 21.5%. That said, you know, again, you look for Stefano Tsitsipas overall here on the year. I'll continue to mention the incredible overall numbers where in terms of quarterfinals now, he's made 13. That leads the ATP Tour. He's made 10 semifinals. I believe that leads the ATP Tours. He's now made six total finals here as well. And you look overall on the ATP Tour, only Carlos Alcaraz and Casper Ruud have the same or more Ruud tied at six, Alcaraz with seven. So it's hard to say it's been a bad year for Stefano Tsitsipas says he is third in the points race now above Kasparu trailing just Alcaraz and Nadal your slam winners along with Djokovic here this season who didn't get points but obviously won that Wimbledon title as well I mean it's the same conversation for Tsitsipas nothing changes for me after this Stockholm loss that said Stock up on Alex Diemenauer. I talked about it on Friday's show, so if you want to hear more on him, go back there. We'll do a big picture podcast on him in December. The physicality was there. Clearly the wrinkle he is adding into his game to win points more freely. He goes after the first serve a little bit more, after the first strike a little bit more, but he is just willing his way forward to the net, using his speed to cut off angle, cut off time more aggressively, and you love to see it. If you're a fan of the Aussie who obviously has the athleticism, the underlying competitive ability, forehand, backhand, wing, consistency, improvisational skills, defensive talent, his hands at the net, he might actually have replaced Nadal as the best volleyer we don't talk about as a good volleyer. Um, but how does he win points free for himself? Obviously, again, I looked at some of those numbers of his struggles against top 50, top 20 opponents on Friday's show. Uh, if he's going to continue to progress up the rankings, push into the top 20, the top 15, he's just going to have to make life a little bit easier for himself. That said, very fun event overall in Stockholm and uh, certainly for late October tennis. Uh, hard to be anything but delighted if you are a fan of the ATP world. That said, let's move over to the action in Antwerp. Plenty of other fun on the ATP Tour. Part of that fun, of course, happened as Felix Ogier-Aliassime, uh, I believe, drops just no, no sets drop, no sets drop on his way to a second consecutive title, Felix winning last week. Uh, and as a matter of fact, you look for Felix last week, a win over an American, J.J. Wolf in the Florence final. This time, different American, same result. Takes on Seppi Corda, three and four win for Felix in. I knew, by the way, I'm mad at myself. Leave it in. I knew he dropped the set to Dan Evans. You could probably hear the reservation in my voice. Dropped one set on his way to the Antwerp title. But, I mean, look, Felix now 28 and 24 
overall here on the season. It's his third title he's now made. Uh, third title, excuse me. Yeah, third title on the year. He's now made four total finals. If you don't include the ATP Cup, which I do not, you look for Felix overall on the season. Has had remarkable success in reaching quarterfinals, 14 of them overall on the year. That leads the ATP Tour. That's one more than Stefano Tsitsipas. Now, Tsitsipas 10-3 and three in those quarterfinals. Felix 6-8, and eight, but... 14 quarterfinals overall on the season and, you know, seven different semifinals for him this year now, or six different semifinals for him this year, excuse me, now uh, five, to, uh, four total finals overall as well. Yes, I realize the U.S. Open Wimbledon losses were disappointing, but let's keep in mind, and I know I mentioned this last week, Felix did reach a much-needed second week at Roland Garros earlier this year before getting knocked out by Rafa in a really fun five-cent match. He was a quarterfinalist at the Australian Open before getting knocked out by Medvedev in a really fun five-set match. You throw those two second weeks together with his first three titles, together with the fact that Felix is in pole position to qualify for the year-end championships. Again, five of the eight spots clinched. Alcaraz, Nadal, Tsitsipas, Rude, Djokovic. Medvedev, a little less than 400 points away. Rublev, a little less than 500 points away, but... Felix right now is holding on to that last spot, and you look for Felix overall. 340-point lead between Felix and Taylor Fritz. That lead a little over 450 between Felix and Hubie Hercots. 300 points is sizable. And yes, there's a 500-level event on the schedule still. There's a 1,000-level event on the schedule still. We see Fritz and Hubie playing in Vienna. We see, for what it's worth, Felix playing in Basel. If things And he's put a lot of tennis on his body, certainly these first two weeks. Although, actually, you look at it for Felix. Let's see. How many matches has he played in total? Eight total matches in 14 days. Uh, only two of them went three sets. Only two of them, excuse me, three of them go over two hours. But one of them was two hours, one minute. I feel kind of good about Felix's body and how it'll hold up. That's always a great sentence. I feel good about Felix's body. But I do. I feel pretty confident in how Felix's body is going to hold up here uh, down the season's home stretch. And, you know, again, indoor hardcore tennis with his serve, his forehand, that's where I think it's going to continue to thrive. You look for Felix. I mentioned the fact that he's now up to 48 and 24. He qualifies for the two-thirds rule here this season. You know, you look for him 23 and 7 against opponents ranked outside the top 50. He holds 86.1% of the time against them. That's a top 10 number. He breaks serve 22.9% of the time. That's still 0.3 below the average, but would be way better than his career average break percentage. The big things, though, are the subtle improvements. You look for Felix over the last two and a half years. Since August 2020, he's 21 and, uh, excuse me, he's 43 and 39 against top 50 opponents. That's a 52% win percentage. This year, 25 and 17. He wins 60% of his matches. His hold percentage up 2.5%. His break percentage up 0.7%. You look for him against top 20 opponents. Career, uh, or since August 2020, Felix 21 and 22 against the top 20. 49% win percentage. This season, 12 and 11. 52% win percentage. And the big number, the serve now, uh, the serve percentage for him up 2.4%. He holds 82.1% of the time, essentially an average number for a top 25 player. But even against the elite competition, that serve holds up. The break percentage actually up by a percent 
and a half. It's up to 19.6. Still bad, but better. Everything's trending up for Felix. And the big numbers, again, the first serve percentage. He has now won over 77% of his first serve points for the season. You look for him overall at 77.8. It's a top six number on the ATP Tour here this year. And we saw it all week long. His ability to assert himself with his first serve, his first forehand, it overwhelmed Sebi Korda in the final of this match. And you could tell Korda did not have a lot of left uh, juice left in his legs. And how could he, after that three-set draining victory over Dominic Team in the semifinals, Korda also reached a final last week, albeit back-to-back. Uh, uh, and Excuse me, Korda didn't just reach a final last week. You look for Korda. Uh, no, excuse me, he did just reach a final last week. I forgot. He did lose that match to Andre Rubov in the final in Hyom, but two really good Good weeks back to back for Sebi Korda. He had the bigger weapons down the home stretch against Dominic Team. He beat him backhand to backhand in the biggest moments of the breaker and did a good enough job opening up angles for himself, in particular with his forehand to get Team stretched off the court. Korda has become a much more willing volleyer over the past 18 months. And again, this back to back run is exactly what the 22 year old needed back up to number 33 in the live rankings. Just now he doesn't have to worry about his schedule uh, moving forward, but. I'll tell you what again, for Felix, it's the opposite of, of Hogaruna, right? We know what plan A is for Felix. It's much like with Tsitsipas. The serve, the forehand, when they are landing, they can be overwhelming. The big things for me, you look for how he broke Korda in that final to get the break to go up, I believe, 4-3 in set number one. It's a backhand return on the rise, then which decent depth, but did enough to just pause Corda's movement forward. Then an on-the-run forehand down the line passing shot for Felix, just showing off that improved fluidity, the improved defensive skills. Again, was dominant on the serve in this match. Fought off two uh, both break points that he faced. He won over 85% of his first serve points in three of his four victories this week on his way to the title in Antwerp. The serve, the forehand were elite. He played Korda fairly even on the backhand, which is all he had to do because, again, Korda did not attack Felix in the way Korda needed to. Korda wasn't able to open up angles, get Felix truly stretched in the outer third, force Felix to consistently play on the run. He played with pace down the center, and right now Felix's backhand is clicking too well, and any look at a forehand, he's just going to pounce on you, and the moment he got Korda stretched, the match was over. Now, again— you look at the semifinal 6-6 six and six result against Richard Gasquet, you may say that's a tough one. Felix didn't face a break point. He was always in control in that match. Gasquet came up with some remarkable shot making, was just going big on every ball he saw. But, man, credit to Felix. I was really impressed with the 22-year-old who, I, I will admit, he's probably not going to be the greatest of all time anymore. I, he's probably eliminated from that conversation. I hate to say it. Well, we're going to bring the panel formally together at the end of the year to make a decision. It's still, jury's not entirely out, but you don't have a Grand Slam title before 22 years old. Mathematically, things just get really hard. That said, I'm still keeping Felix on my list of locks for players who I think are going to win a slam sometime before January 1st, 2030. I think that serve, that forehand, the physicality, the strength, the the improved touch at the net. Felix showed off a drop shot over the course of this week, a backhand dropper in particular against Korda. I didn't know that he had. 
I just like the totality of things Felix can do, and I do feel like he can continue to get better. Again, the frame, the fluidity, it's there. He just needs to continue to tap into it from a movement perspective. The backhand continues to get better when pressed. Again, the hold percentage has improved for five straight seasons. The break percentage does continue to get better, uh, even if it is still a vulnerability that said, I don't think the Felix two backhand return is much of a vi- uh, liability as Tsitsipas is moving forward. And I don't know why that's relevant to the discussion, only to say I'm keeping Felix on my list of going to win a slam title before 2030, even if I don't think he's going to win 20-plus slam titles anymore. And I hope that's okay for Felix, who is still on all those lists of youngest players to do X, Y, Z. I say this all the time. It's Djokovic, Nadal, Del Potro, Gasquet, Zverev, Alcaraz, Tomic and Felix like those are the eight names you see on every list of the youngest players to do xyz and Felix 22 years old maybe not as young as he once was still not in my opinion if anything he might just be on the ascension towards the prime of his career I don't think though we've seen him come close to hitting his ceiling and that is why I remain so high on Felix uh ditto about Seppi Corda I I really do think he could be the highest ranked American by the end of next season and you look for Corda with this run and eight and two you know little stretch here over the course of two weeks Corda taking a big jump in the win percentage now went from 26 and 19 to 34 and 21 he's now won 62% of his matches played an exceptional match against Dominic team particularly after being up for most of that first set having the momentum he worked his way into far more Dominic team service games than vice versa and yet some timely hitting a lucky net cord in the you know uh a lucky net court on set point, I think, from team. Uh, or maybe that was for team in the quarterfinals. I forget where the net court came for team, but quarter kept his head down, did a great job of opening up court for himself, just drives through that backhand so well. The heavy topspin into the backhand corner, it didn't work for team against quarter because of how well he was playing defensively. And again, all of his physicality into that two-hour, 43-minute victory. Now it zapped him for the final. The good news slams you have the day off in between. But again, for the 22-year-old who just started lifting weights this year, and I mean that seriously lifting weights to start gaining muscle, let that body develop. Again, 22 years old. I don't think he's anywhere close to his ceiling either. Give me fee- – uh, I'll take Corda maybe even to be the highest-ranked American next year. That might be a take brewing in my brain, but very good week for the American. And again, into the top 35 moving forward. Again, for Dominic team, just outside the top 100 right now is team who currently is sitting at 113 in the live rankings. Uh, I've mentioned this before, but I'll say it again. Dominic team, after losing what I believe was his first seven matches to start this 2022 season, now 22 and 11 overall during that stretch of time, has reached the quarterfinals of, I believe, yes, Five different tour-level events has reached the semifinals of four different tour-level events. Only the uh, one—excuse me, of three different tour-level events. Now, he hasn't made a final yet, but— He's gotten his legs back under him. The break percentage is creeping back up into that 25-26% range where Dominic Team likes to hang out. The serve looks explosive once again. When he has his feet set, he looks like Dominic Team. He's getting more and more fluid in those outer corners as well. Played a great match against Corda. Just ran out of a little bit of juice at the end. And how could he not after... No, the net cords came against Tubi Hurkats in the quarters. Not against, uh, I think, Corda uh, in the semis. But, man, was that really good tennis between... Between team and Hercots, and I talked about that match.
catch on Friday's Mini Break podcast. So I'll leave my thoughts on that one there. But it was a really fun event in Antwerp. But then certainly last but not least, just a final thought on Lorenzo Musetti, who was so good at making the final, a 7-6-6-2 victory for him over Matteo Berrettini, played on his terms. And you look for Musetti, made just 59.4% of his first serves, and yet faced just one break point in the match, won 85% of his first serve points, 57% of his second serve points, and I alluded to this earlier, but his pinpoint accuracy in finding the Berrettini backhand corner. He found some inside-out forehand angles, and I like to think I'm a proprietor of the forehand inside-out angle. I can bring it up. You know, I can hit it pretty darn well. Sometimes I hit it funky. I catch it a little late. It goes even more inside-out than I intended. I like to think at my own level, but translated to ATPs, that I've found those sorts of angles before. Some of the angles Musetti was finding with his inside-out forehand were laughable. Just even if Berrettini was cheating over, it didn't matter, wasn't cheating over far enough, he'd have to be standing in the alley to be cheating over far enough. And then I thought early on Musetti came out a little bit tentative in attacking the Berrettini forehand. He was no longer tentative through the final set and a half of play. Ultimately, again, a 6-2 and two victory for Lorenzo Musetti. His backhand return held up, I thought, very well in particular I thought he did a good job of stretching Berrettini in service games throughout the course of the first set, and they played a lot of 10-plus shot rallies, which I know Berrettini was a little bit gimpy. He was very patient on the backhand wing, waiting for Musetti to pop that ball up for him to turn into a forehand, but as the match progressed, Musetti did not pop that ball up, particularly in his service games. He was so confident in hitting the first strike played such definitive tennis when he did decide to go down the line, snuck forward to the net extraordinarily well, and then, again, has always had the defensive skills to track down the first Berrettini forehand, hit an exceptional backhand slicer, drive it down the line, or just do something weird with a forehand flick of the wrist. I Again, I broke down Musetti extensively on Friday's podcast, but just want to do that same numbers comparison for Musetti uh, that I did with Holgaruna and Felix Ogierali-Sim because you look for Musetti now 19-7 and overall since mid-July. He's holding serve 82.7% of the time, breaking serve 26.6% of the time. He would be one of just 12 guys, or, you know, there are 11 other guys. He would rank top 25 in both hold and break percentage. And here's the list, by the way, of men's players coming into this week. I don't have the updated list, but coming into this week, here's your top 25 club. Top 10 in both hold and break percentage. Just one name, Novak Djokovic. Top 15, Medvedev and Zverev. That's interesting to me. Deserves some more prying. Top 20, Draper, Fritz, and here's where you see Alcaraz Nadal. Top 25, Rublev, Monfi, Sinner, RBA. Down the home stretch, Musetti has belonged in that final category. And again, he's made three straight semifinals in four weeks. He's now captured a title on top of it all here in Naples. Good wins over Kasmenovic, who went up an early break 2-1 because Musetti came out a little bit tentative. No longer it was the first strike of Musetti that was the most authoritative. I thought tennis I saw from anyone in Naples. And now you look for Musetti, 20 years old, up to a new career high of number 23 in the rankings. Absolutely remarkable. 
absolutely remarkable for the young Italian. And look, Berrettini was hobbled, couldn't move particularly well, and yet displayed some extraordinary patience in that first set. Went up 2-1 in that first set breaker, just played a ri- one loose point on serve, missed one awry forehand, and that was the mini break Musetti needed. Again, Musetti was that good on serve in this match, but for Berrettini to get through Mackie McDonald down a set, a little bit gimpy. He had talked to his bench, should I retire because of my foot? He does not. Big serves, big forehands, just took the legs of Mackie from out underneath him in that semifinal, and unfortunately just wasn't able to do it in the final against Musetti. But good weeks for Kasmanovic, who solidifies his spot 28 in the live rankings, new career high for the 23-year-old Mackie with his semifinal run up to number 65, which doesn't guarantee you a place in the Masters main draw, but just keeps you in the conversation for everything. A fun week of tennis in Naples, and again, we'll go with the guys who are under the age of 23. Now, some of them may have been born maybe at the tail end of 1999 here, or, uh, you know, again, I guess the tail end of 1999 and we'll be turning 23 at the end of the year. But here's the group of just young, talented, frisky guys we see right now who are under the age of – and again, it's funny because if I go under the age of and include the 23-year-olds, now you get Kasparud, Shapovalov, Demonauer, Kasmenovic, Davidovich Fokina – J.J. Wolf, who, honest to God, those guys might be their own. J.J. probably not in that conversation, all due respect. But Kasper, Shapovalov, Demonauer, Kasmenovic, Davidovich, Fokina. I mean, we'll call them the middle class. We'll call Zverev, Medvedev, Tsitsipas, Hachinov, Berrettini, Rublev. We'll call those guys the next gen. And then next gen 1.5 is Rude. Demonauer, Kasmenovic, Davidovich, Fokina, Shapovalov. Next-gen 2.0, though, Alcaraz, Felix, Sinner, Musetti, Runa, Korda, Baez, Nakashima, Draper, Brooksby. Obviously, there's a lot of Jerry Shang love. Dom Stricker's done some really fun things. Ben Shelton might belong in that conversation as well. We'll throw... That Brooksby shell, you know, that 10th spot will represent everyone else. We'll say one more of those guys will click. That's 10 guys right there, plus the five guys mentioned of that in between group. Rude, Shapovalov, Demonauer, Davidovich, Fokina, Kesmenovich. That brings us up to 15. Then you have the original next gen crew Zverev, Medvedev, Tsitsipas, Rublev. You want to throw Fritz, Tiafa, we'll say two Americans in that group just to get us to six. Hercots, Cam Norris a little old, all due respect. Um, Hachinov, uh, Kyrgios is a little old, all due respect. But that's another eight guys right there. Tommy Paul, he's one of the two Americans we agreed. The point is that right there, you throw those eight in the mix. That's 23 guys. 23 guys you can make a case for for the next 10 years of just like they're all going to be in the mix. I know Jack Draper might be an early uh, ad there, but folks, top 20. I know a lot of that's against challenger action, but that's why he's progressed up the rankings that he has. That said, again, 23 names just in the mix moving forward. And even if you want to say Kesmenovic, Davidovich, Fokina, they're on the lower end of that spectrum, along with maybe the Nakashimas in your mind of the world. That's fine. Throw them a little bit lower. Still at 18. You want to throw out Hatchinov? Fine. Still at 17. Like, 
you you can't cross off every name on that list of just being competitive everywhere. And that's why I think this next decade, even without Djokovic, Nadal, Federer as the Murray as the headliners, I think we're fine moving forward. I think you just you know, you've got twenty you know, I mentioned what? Twenty three names there, twenty three bites at the apple. Let's I think we know Alcaraz has popped. I think a lot of people would bet that Sinner's gonna have a run like that as well. If three of the other 21 guys pop, now you have five guys who are all slam-level caliber talents, again, competing steadily for the next decade. You think we're not going to get at least three, four players out of that era of 23 guys who capture three slam titles, four slam titles? If not, it means one of Alcaraz or Sinner really, really clicks, and that's why they're not eliminated from the GOAT conversation yet, but it's a really fun cohort on the ATP Tour. I guess that's how I wanted to end today's show. We see the rise of the next-gen ATP 2.0, and now there's just a really fun generation of talent where who's going to be the best of the group? We know who's in the lead, but there's a lot of jockeying going on, and it's a fun jockeying because, again, let's say Shapovalov does end up the best version of the guy of the group. Isn't the best version of Shapovalov still a really fun player? Let's say it's somehow Demon Hour. What does that mean Demon Hour developed from a weapon standpoint to become the best player in the group? Isn't that fascinating? The best version of Korda. Isn't that a fascinating prospect? I think it's a really, really – stop me if you've heard this before. This is where I want to be for the future moving forward. 23 bites at the apple. Other names we don't even know about yet who haven't emerged. Buckle up, folks. It's going to be a fun era on the ATP Tour. With that said, that's your championship weekend recap. Stockholm, Antwerp, Napoli in the books. Vienna, Basel taking our attention this week. You look overall of the top 30 players in the world, 26 of them competing in action. The only players absent, Nadal, Zverev, Djokovic, and Kyrgios will have everyone else in play. That doesn't get you excited. I don't know what will, folks. Buckle in this 2022 season, finishing in blazing fashion. With that said, a shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. A shout out as well to our friends at Tennis Point for their continued support. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. And one last reminder, I do want to talk about all the action happening on the WTA side. What happened in Guadalajara? Who is going to be competing in Fort Worth for the WTA Tour Finals Championship. That is a discussion we will have on part two of this podcast. So buckle in, folks. It's going to be a fun week here at Cracked Rackets. With that said, for our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all later. Thanks, everyone.